0: Hey folks, do you own firearms? I do. Did you know that there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Meet muzzle stick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzle stick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. That could save lives. Are you one of nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection? Well... Taking an extra precaution by using Muzzlestick's big bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around you know if the firearm is loaded or unloaded. Muzzlestick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some people do. And a clearly marked gun's status communicates to others around that may not have firearm handling experience and it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzlestick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety, however, Their chamber and barrel flags do offer firearms rapid, clear identification, and that could save lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owner. Head over to muzzlestick, M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K, dot com to place your order. One more time, that's muzzlestick, M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K, dot com. After all, we only have one life to live. Hello America and welcome to the Monday edition of John Solomon Reports. Yes, it's time to get back from the weekend, stretch all those cobwebs out of your head and get thinking about two big stories because we're going to tackle two big ones, not two small ones, two big ones today and very different stories. Joining us today, Dr. Robert Malone, one of the great scientists in the medical community, one of the uh, people who helped develop the mRNA vaccine technology that uh, we're using for the COVID-19 vaccines. He is a pro-vaccine guy, but he is deeply worried by the data coming out of places like Israel and Boston or Cape Cod and some other studies because they're showing that maybe the vaccine uh, strategy, which by the way, he supported and that so many people did, may be backfiring, that there may be some scientific phenomenon that will require America to adjust course in its approach on this horrific pandemic, which doesn't ever seem to quite go away. He has been chagrined and and canceled and censored recently because he dared challenge the medical establishment led by people like Dr. Anthony Fauci and who, but he's not doing it because of politics. He's not doing it to be irresponsible. He's definitely not anti-vaccine. He's the founder of one of the most important vaccine technologies of the last two decades. He's doing it because his own scientific training, his own data research is showing that the virus is adapting to the vaccine quicker than we thought, and that it's time to shift to things like therapeutics like ivermectin or other solutions that are out there he thinks that the medical community is missing an important window and it could be costing lives you're going to want to hear from directly listen i'm not a scientist he is we're going to bring him on you will not be disappointed thoughtful careful non-vaccine hating he's a person that supports vaccines he developed them He just sees in this moment that the strategy may not be working as intended and it's never too late to blow the whistle and change course before we cost more human lives and COVID. He's talking about early intervention, which a lot of our doctors aren't. All right, that's an important one. We're gonna have Dr. Robert Malone right after the commercial break. But before that, we broke a big one. I told you we might. We broke a big one this morning on the Georgia election. And what we were able to do is through FOIA, obtain both the dominion voting machine logs and the actual images of ballots of the 5,000 plus ballots in fulton county that's atlanta where machines rejected a ballot because someone filled it out wrong and it went to humans to a process called adjudication and we wanted to know well if one person voted for two candidates on a ballot how do they resolve it that's all we want to know not controversial What we found was jaw-dropping. What we found was that the election workers, the humans, who were involved in the adjudication process, they literally altered the ballot. They would remove marks from names in order to make a ballot count. They altered the ballot. Now, we also found that a lot of ballots that met the legal test of what is known as a spoiled ballot, meaning someone scribbled out something, they made a mistake, that they were sometimes counted and sometimes not counted. And when you take a look at it, there's almost no rationale to how it was done. You literally can't figure out a consistency. We talked to election workers who said that there were no clear rules. It was done ad hoc and inconsistently. We looked at the law. The law said spoiled ballots should not be counted. We found some that were, some that weren't. We found instances where someone voted for Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Donald Trump's mark was removed and Joe Biden's vote was allowed to count. We found instances where people voted for Joe Biden and Joe Jergensen, the libertarian candidate, where the mark for Joe Jergensen was removed and the mark for Joe Biden was allowed to count. We found more than, 1400, or more than 1,300 instances where election workers literally removed a mark from the ballot, a mark that a human voter made. In order to try to get the ballot to count in some form or some fashion, it is remarkable. We put all these ballots up for you to see. We put all the logs up for you to see. This is a process called adjudication. It's what the hanging Chad crisis of 2000 in Florida was an adjudication process. We put that in the rearview mirror. We thought, well, listen, we're never going to deal with that again. Well. The extraordinary crush of paper ballots that were used for absentee last year because of COVID, the Democratic push to use as many absentee ballots and paper ballots as possible. Well, it made adjudication consequential. Well, how consequential? Well, 3% of all of the paper ballots in Fulton County, about 140,000, 3% of them were rejected by the machines and went to human adjudication, meaning someone's discretion was substituted for the intent of the voter. And it is remarkable to see what we found. It only requires you to go to justthenews.com. Click on the headline. It's a pretty easy headline to remember. Georgia ballots rejected by machines were later altered by election workers so they could count. How about that? Check it out. We're live at justthenews.com. It's uh, bouncing all over the country with some, a lot of attention. We hope you enjoy the story. We think it's an important story, and uh, you can make up your own mind. We're not telling you how to think. We gave you some new data, some never-before-seen data, and you can now make up your own mind about what went on in the largest county in Georgia in one of the razor-thin races that we had back in November. And people say, well, is it only a Georgia thing? And the answer is no. Just uh, the other day, we got an answer back from Maricopa County saying there were about, let's see if I can get the exact number here because it is worth pointing that out, 27,000 ballots were adjudicated in Maricopa County. It's about 1% of the total vote total in the state. That's a pretty significant amount of adjudications. So what does that mean? Well, it means we got to look at Maricopa County next and maybe some other states. But important stuff, check it out. Where it got you covered at Just the News and we got the real documents. You can download them, look at them yourself, read them, read the logs, and see what we saw, see if we did a good job. We hope you enjoy the story. We like it a lot. Now, we're gonna go to that commercial break. When we come back, Dr. Robert Malone, one of the premier experts in medical science, one of the persons who developed technologies that led to the mRNA vaccine that we're using for COVID, with some very strong words of caution about the current approach of fighting this pandemic. You're gonna to wanna to listen. This is a real expert. This isn't some hack, isn't some talking head on CNN. This is one of the most respected members of the scientific community and people are trying to silence him right now because he's paddling against the conventional wisdom, but it is pretty clear now from the studies in Israel and in Cape Cod and in some other places that conventional wisdom has not held up. There is leaks in the vaccine, meaning that there are breakthrough infections of a significant amount. And we need to be doing more than just vaccine. It doesn't mean vaccines aren't a good idea. It means that we require more mitigation, more treatment for people who do get COVID rather than say it's a vaccine or bus strategy. Dr. Robert Malone is going to handle that when we come back after the commercial break. who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews and extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, someone who's had an enormous impact on science and virology, Uh, and who right now is one of the most cogent voices talking about what is going on in the COVID-19 pandemic. Joining us right now is Dr. Robert Malone, one of the inventors of the mRNA vaccine technology that we're using to fight the pandemic today. Dr. Malone, great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you, John. Thanks for the opportunity to speak to your audience.
0: You are an important voice in this arena and perhaps one of the most important. And you are a pro-vaccine doctor when it makes sense. You you care about uh, protecting people, but you have some real concerns about the way the Biden administration is going about right now at this moment, pushing a a universal vaccine uh, effort. Tell us why. What are you seeing in the scientific data that concerns you?
1: So there's a number of things. And of course, the ethics of this is just all sideways also. But in terms of the underlying science, the rise of the escape mutants, the emergence of these escape mutants is, I think, concerning to us all. And we're all aware of Delta, but now we've got Lambda on the horizon. Right. So we have new mutants that are able to bypass to a significant extent the protection afforded by the current vaccines. Once they infect people who are vaccinated or unvaccinated, they replicate at least to the same levels. And there's some emerging data that, in fact, the vaccinated may replicate to higher levels, may or may not experience more disease. That's still controversial. But the data coming in from Israel suggests that it's certainly something we have to watch. So we had been told that these vaccines are protective. They're going to protect us they're going to prevent us from getting infected, they're going to prevent us from having virus replicate in our bodies, and they're going to prevent us from infecting other people. Those are true. And there has been a variety of statements to the effect that those responsible for these effects, this viral evolution, are the unvaccinated. That's just not true. That's transparently not true to any experienced geneticist or virologist or vaccinologist really that that has worked in this area with viruses the selective pressure of the vaccines are pushed to escape that pressure from the vaccines this is simple you know basic darwinian evolution and, and- what we have the problem with is that we're training everybody's immune systems both their innate and their adaptive immune systems to the same endpoint by doing these vaccines that all use the same antigens. They're basically similar technology, the same antigens. They're training us all to respond in the same way. And what that's going to do is create a setup where once we do have a fully functional viral escape unit, there will be no barriers to it spreading rapidly through the human population and, and basically completely abrogating any benefits associated with the vaccines. Over.
0: Wow, that is a, that is a scary uh, scenario. Why do you think, I, I, you know, a lot of times we see the flu, right? Every year there's different flavors of the flu and, and we have to get a different shot. Why, uh, why did COVID-19 uh, e- evolve so quickly? Was it the vaccines, w- what Delta, and I guess Delta was out there before the vaccines really were out there, but why, why such a quick mutation?
1: And is that unusual? Actually, that that comment about Delta not being out there, uh, being out there before the vaccines, it there a case can and has been made that uh, Delta rose in regions at times in many of these other escape mutants at times when the vaccines were being deployed as uh, experimental products. Ah, interesting in tri- trials. Yeah. So you, one can make a case that the centers where many of these uh, escape mutants have emerged were centers in which vaccine was being deployed experimentally. Now, why, why is this happening here and not with flu? It happens with flu every That's why we have to get the jab again and again. Right. Flu is very seasonal. It's very clearly seasonal. And so we have the benefit of basically getting a six-month break. Flu takes a hiatus from the northern hemisphere goes down the southern hemisphere and then comes back in the northern hemisphere and cycles. This is the way it works. Flu is different from the coronaviruses in that it has a multi-stranded RNA genome. So, functionally, flu is, is akin to having separate chromosomes. That means that flu can do two different things. It can drift, which is what most of the changes are right now with the coronavirus. Right. What we're seeing is genetic drift. That's the accumulation of random mutations under the force of selection. And then it can shift in influenza. That means that if two different influenza viruses infect the same cell, say one from a duck and one from a human, those genomes can recombine, they can shuffle. And that is what gives rise to the really pathogenic high-risk influenza viruses. So flu is very different in its, in its genetic structure in that it has these different chromosomes that allow it to shift but it also drifts in the same way that coronaviruses do one of the big differences with the coronaviruses is historically they've been associated with this phenomenon called antibody dependent enhancement and that's the other bear in the woods right now that has not been the case with influenza
0: and describe what that means that means that as uh, uh that someone who has antibodies might be more receptive to the virus on the second wave is that correct
1: So it's a phenomena that is known, it's like the worst nightmare of vaccinologists. It's known in dengue and respiratory syncytial virus and other viruses. As typically as the vaccine is waning, so its effectiveness in protecting you is decreasing because it has a limited durability. And in this case, the durability is about six months. During the slow decline of that protective phase, you move through a window in which you have antibodies still around that can bind the virus, but you don't have enough antibodies of sufficient potency to block the virus from infecting. And when you move through that window, those antibodies that bind the virus act kind of like new spike proteins in a sense. (laughs) They allow the virus to infect cells that it might not otherwise infect and spread and replicate in ways that it doesn't usually do. And that can cause these explosive high titers. That's one of the reasons why this super high titer variant, we call Delta, is worrying. Another one is the data coming out of Israel, suggesting that we may have antibody-dependent enhancement happening in those people that are beyond six months after vaccination. Well,
0: it's a depressing scenario when you put all that together. What, uh, what are you advocating? We're, have, we, have we focused on the wrong thing here? We went for a vaccine. Should we have focused more on therapeutics and getting people through getting the disease? What, what's, the, what's the change in posture that you're urging America and
1: the Biden administration to take? Thanks for that. And it's me and Peter Navarro that put together that uh, piece. And yeah. Peter, of course, is much more sophisticated than I am in terms of the politics and just DC life. What we're suggesting, and and this is not, um, let me, just to your listenership, this doesn't have to be grim. I don't wanna sound like the grim reaper and everything's all gonna go right down the toilet. We have many options. So yes, we have almost exclusively focused our energy and our capital in the United States on advancing vaccine candidates. And we've pushed that globally, and we've pushed out the development and advocated and expedited through Operation Warp Speed the development of very novel technology for these vaccine candidates, and we've rushed them through the process. In doing so, we really downplayed to the extent that, for instance, the director of NCATS, the National Center for Advanced Technology at NIH, he resigned from his position because he was so frustrated with the fact that he had identified, he and his group had identified many drug candidates, repurposed drug candidates, but just couldn't get any capital from NIH to advance them. It's been a paradox why we haven't seen investments in capital in early treatments. There's been this two odd exclusive focuses that seem to come directly from Dr. Fauci. One is only focusing on antivirals when this is a hyperinflammatory disease, and we've got a lot of great anti-inflammatories. And the other is the focus on hospitalized as opposed to early onset patients, outpatients. So what we end up with, and many of your listeners will will know this to be true from their own experience, is this odd situation where patients go to the hospital they say i've got covid i'm having these symptoms i have shortness of breath etc and the emergency room will tell them i'm sorry come back when your lips are blue i have nothing to give you <laughs> that's okay? literally that's what yeah, they Yeah literally it. that's the answer right yeah um right and and uh, it paradoxical because in fact there are multiple agents that that are showing efficacy and the further paradox is this the denigration of many of these repurposed agents in the literature and in the mainstream press, it's hard to explain as anything other than um, the financial self-interest of the pharmaceutical companies. So in the in our op-ed, we listed a number of those agents. Yep. And I can tell you, I was one of the early infected ones. I was infected in Boston in late February uh-huh. with that outbreak. And I developed Long-Covid. In, in the course of self-treating, I discovered famotidine, Pepsid, and that the AP had a, a good time with that. But, in fact, there's a trial coming out, outpatient, that shows benefit with uh, Pepsid. and Statistically significant in a small number of patients. That, that translates to it works. But it's not a perfect cure. Ivermectin, I've just finished, like I was trying to say, I developed Long-Covid and then I took Moderna times two because there was the talk that it would help people with long COVID. In fact, I developed a much worse cough, quite a severe cough, and grade three hypertension, restless leg syndrome, and other symptoms. After receiving the vaccine, it made me worse. I just finished a three-day course of ivermectin and uh, hiked all over Carmel and uh, Point Lobos and uh, had no exercise intolerance during that, first time in months for me. And I woke up without coughing, again, first time in months for me. So, uh, you know, that's just an anecdotal N of 1 for me. But that's being replicated all over the world, both in trials and in countries like Mexico, which provide ivermectin available across the counter without prescription. So ivermectin is another one. Hydroxyquin, when it's used safely, appears to have beneficial effects. Apixaban is great for the anticoagulant issues. Also heparins, low molecular weight heparin. We have a number of these agents now that are fluvoxamine is another one. Right. That can be used early on. And the secret here is that you have to get it early after infection. Now, what's intriguing is that after Peter and I came out with our our piece, within days, suddenly Tony Fauci was at a think tank in D.C. making a presentation in which he was endorsing and using the words we need to make, he was endorsing early treatment and using the words that we need to make COVID more like the common cold by treating early. But his focus was exclusively on antivirals, a single pill... And particularly only the antivirals that are still in development and patented by companies like Merck and Pfizer. That doesn't make any sense to me as a scientist and as a clinical development specialist and as somebody that's been working on, you know, right at the tip of the spear with repurposed drugs since January of 2020. Right. We have many agents. They do. They fit exactly the description of what Dr. Fauci was saying. And. Yet we have intransigence and, and blockage. Now, I can tell you the good news is that I had my prescription for ivermectin. I went right down to my local Walmart, and they filled it. And it was covered by my insurance, and I only had to do a $20 copay. So make of that what you will. We have these official policies from the WH NIH, have the FDA basically casting shade on ivermectin, saying, oh, we have a number of reports of its toxicity. Well, I can tell your listeners, and I get these calls all the time, please don't go down to Southern States or Tractor Supply and buy cattle ivermectin or that's horse weird. ivermectin and use it. That will be toxic. Yes. It's, I wouldn't use cattle ivermectin on my dogs. Yes, I use horse ivermectin on my horses, but I wouldn't take it. It's formulated for a different species. And the Eden Bridge ivermectin that's available in your pharmacy throughout much of the United States is perfectly safe and acceptable when dosed in the normal range. The thing about ivermectin is that we've got 40 years of history. We do. It has the best safe records of any of the drugs in the pharmacopoeia. But, you know, just like any drug, don't dose it at crazy high levels. Right. Just because some is good, more is not necessarily better. Yeah. Don't fall into that trap. That's how people and you know, ICU docs in Italy in particular ended up killing people with hydroxychloroquine they over is that simple it, right? logic. Some is good, more is better. Exactly. The same is true with dexamethasone. Despite the fact checkers that have no prior science or medical training asserting that I was wrong in my statements about uh, dexamethasone, if you read the paper and you read the guidance, this is the recovery trial. There's two papers in the New England Journal. The use of dexamethasone, to the extent that it can be justified, is in an extremely narrow population in hospitalized patients with very significant oxygen support. Right, And even then, it's a little tenuous, and they had to use a very large sample size to demonstrate a benefit that was statistically significant. Wow. So don't give dexamethasone to outpatients. What you do is you just destroy... Their lymphocyte responses. Right. You need to have your lymphocytes in order to recover from the disease. You know, um, this is again fundamental virology. So, big lesson with ivermectin: just because some is good, more is not necessarily better. Don't you know? Use it under a doctor's supervision, uh, and you kind of have to in the United States. But it is available, and it does fit the criteria that Dr. Fauci was speaking of. Um, and, you know, a cynic might say, well, unfortunately, it only costs two to four bucks a pill. And, uh, the you know, Merck no longer sells it because they can't make right. a profit on it. And they went generic, uh, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, the generics can because they get bulk drug uh, from typically India or there's a manufacturing plant down in Mexico. And it's really safe. It's FDA inspected. It meets all the criteria. Yeah, um, I've also had people writing to me about about whether or not the Eden Bridge product is is uh, fake ivermectin. No, it's not. Um, wow. So in in some there's a number of these agents that can be deployed early, and one of the key that physicians all around the world that are doing this acknowledge is that you can't under treat this. As soon as you get um, signs and symptoms of COVID and a positive diagnosis, you got to get to the doc and they got to start that treatment right away. Way, and this business of you know you go to the ER and come back when your lips are blue, what that does is it allows the inflammation to create significant damage to your body. And don't do that; it's wrong. It's bad medicine. So I I hope that helps uh, sort that part out. It's pretty we clear, do yeah. have a,
0: and a lot more doctors are talking this way. They're just continuing to get drowned out. And I'm curious as to how did we get to a culture where. A profession whose first rule is don't do no harm, right? And that means sometimes not acting means doing harm uh, How did we get to that point? Is it do we have the wrong public health officials in place? Are the Fauci's and the who's of the world on the wrong? Highway uh, for curing this or, or overcoming this
1: they seem to be completely dug in in the wrong paradigm And I love the metaphor as a as a former father, you know, I've got both of my sons are grown our sons are grown up uh, but The metaphor, if you give a three-year-old a hammer, everything becomes a nail. They seem to think (laughs) that um, this big hammer that they've created by rushing these genetic vaccines through should be applied to everything that's never been the case before. It needs to be deployed strategically and tactically together with other strategies. And instead, we have this very simplistic childlike insistence on just vaccinating everybody when it doesn't make sense sense. Furthermore, again, these are leaky vaccines. They don't protect you fully from death and disease, let alone protect you fully from infection, replication, and spread. They're they're not actually particularly good for that. They're about we all know how flu vaccines vary. In some seasons the flu vaccine isn't very good right. because of mismatches. Well, the levels of protection afforded by these vaccines for infection, replication, and transmissibility, very similar to what some of the not so good flu seasonal flu vaccines are. When we bet wrong. These are, the these are not.
0: Are right, damn.
1: Yeah. You know, I think for some reason, people have gotten wrapped around the idea that they have to pretend that these are perfect vaccines. Right. And they came out with a number of statements at the beginning, essentially, that they were. And now, after the CDC slide deck leaked, they have to confront the fact that the public is now made aware that these are not perfect products. But what they seem to be doing is instead of, of confronting reality and shifting, which is what a normal scientist would do, right. is say, hey, we live in a world of imperfect knowledge and we're constantly seeking to improve our understanding – We recognize that in an outbreak, we never know all the answers. We have to be constantly agile and looking forward. They seem to be digging in and then using these incredibly powerful new tools to suppress any dissent or discussion if they say things that are contrary to what the WHO or the CDC says. Now, to that end, it's fascinating, for instance, to just look at the the WHO flops, let alone the CDC ones. WHO is now actively redefining the meaning of herd immunity to make it so that herd immunity, in their definition, requires vaccination, so that they're writing out the possibility of natural infection. But natural infection is usually the way herd immunity is reached. Yep. It's bizarre. It's rewriting history. It's rewriting the language in a very Orwellian way. And then applying that, punitively in using authoritarian measures. Peter, who's now being sued by a team of lawyers that are completely outside of his university, trying to shut him down for speaking his truth. And there's all kinds of, of weaponization of information and funding streams coming down from the federal government. I mean, I think what's going on is the usual federal trick, where they say, well, we can't actually mandate you to do something But if you don't follow our rules, then we're going to stop giving you money. We're going to box you out.
0: Yep. And that's going to shut off innovation. Joe Biden wakes up tomorrow and he realizes, I got this wrong. I've had this wrong. We've all had it wrong. (laughs) I want to start over. He puts you in charge. What do you do for the next six months to get America to a more
1: uh, safe space? So the CDC has to be beefed up somehow. We have to have, if we're going to deploy drugs early, Conversation I had with a senior official at of the DOD for an hour and a half last week. He said, Robert, please emphasize we need better testing capabilities. And we really need at home testing. Yep. I don't think we need to have uh, mobilization of the military coming around putting straws up your nose. We need home testing so that people can identify whether or not they actually have the virus. And if they have, they can promptly contact their physician typically using a zoom contact they don't have to go into the office and say hey here's my positive test can you see it yes i can see it okay please prescribe the necessary drugs okay here's your prescription go down to walgreens or wherever and fill it and start taking the drug or get it shipped to you promptly so you don't have to go out into the world and interface with uh, other customers and spread the virus we have to have better testing capabilities, but they really shouldn't be backed by these authoritarian types of approaches. That's job number one. Job number two, in parallel, we've got to make available these drugs and stop this odd resistance to agents that are proven to be safe and have very strong indications of efficacy. We've got to flip the script on that. Please stop the authoritarian. Actions. It is so counterproductive. It's just dropping all of our people into foxholes. They're they're once again splitting the media, is splitting the whole country into people that are uh, vaccine hesitant and people that have accepted vaccine. And I don't criticize those that have. Right. I took Moderna. Okay, I'm not an anti-vaccine person, but the studies now show that in general, those vaccine hesitant generally are more informed, have a higher level of information awareness about the vaccine and its safety than the people that have accepted agents. These people are vaccine hesitant for good reason. They're, they're thinking it through, they're getting the information, and they're making informed decisions. We need to stop forcing vaccination on people that it doesn't make sense for for two reasons. Number one, it's just fundamentally, ethically wrong. Number two, it's bad public policy because we're gonna be selecting vaccine-resistant mutants. And you may think that it's all hunky-dory today, but six months from now, it's not gonna look so good. Next point, we've got to get to the bottom of whether or not antibody-dependent enhancement is happening. If it is, we've gotta seriously think about halting vaccination and figuring out what our risk mitigation is. Long COVID is real, and the post-vaccination syndrome overlap with long COVID is real. There appears to be a significant issue associated with the common variable between the vaccines and the virus. That common variable is spike. And uh, once again, I've been fact-checked by Reuters, but they twisted my words. Spike protein, as expressed by the virus, is a toxin. It causes all kinds of problems with the blood-brain barrier, coagulation, and other things, and damage to vascular endothelium. It just does. Multiple peer-reviewed publications, it's incontrovertible. We don't know whether the, technically know whether the the spike expressed by the vaccines is also similarly toxic, but the burden of proof is on the developers of the products. That's right. And on the FDA, And they haven't done that. So the criticism that, well... They, they must have engineered it to make it safe. Well, they didn't. They weren't even aware of how unsafe it was at the time they did the engineering. Next point. With these vaccines, we seriously need to re-engineer. It's time for version 2.0. And the problem with going ahead, there's m- multiple problems with going ahead with licensing, expedited licensing with Pfizer, which is the track they're on right now. And they're saying it's going to be done by the end of September, which is just... Um, I think, an abomination right now with all of the adverse events that are being disclosed. The problem with that is as soon as we have a licensed product, it's going to become very, very difficult to roll out a next generation product. You're not going to be able to do the clinical trials to demonstrate that they are superior. It's just going to be ethically unfeasible. reasons why the likes of Pfizer rushes so hard to get their product to be the first approved because once it's on the market, the barriers to entry for alternatives that would be improved and have less toxicity and greater efficacy and less risk of escapians becomes enormous. So they basically lock in their profit and their product worldwide as soon as they get that. This is just, the FDA has lost its independence. I don't know how else to say it. What I've seen again and again and again Looks precisely like regulatory capture. And we saw the evidence of regulatory capture, of course, with the opioid crisis. And we saw evidence of regulatory capture with this new uh, drug for Alzheimer's. Right. And we see it abundantly with these vaccines. And there's a common variable there, too. Um, the current acting director of the FDA, that acting director position needs to be filled by a permanent director and it needs to be filled by a permanent director that does not have a long history of hand in glove relationship with the pharmaceutical industry. The FDA has to become more independent and less dependent on the money and the relationships and the revolving door that exists between the FDA, its personnel and the pharmaceutical industry, full stop. So there's a short list. You know, it's a pretty let's, good list. Let's, let's start being smart. Stop digging in. Check our egos at the door, please. I mean, this is about this is the worst public health crisis we've ever faced in the world, and let's start thinking, please. Look at the data. Look at the information, and you need to think it through again. I like to say we have to stop approaching public health the way we have, and I've seen too many outbreaks. And it's always the same problem. The CDC and the WHO only act on fully verified data. And any stockbroker knows that if you do that, you're just going to get constantly beaten to a pulp yep. by all of your competitors who are busy doing risk mitigation and looking for leading indicators. Public health in an outbreak has to be built around risk mitigation and a focus on leading indicators and you know anybody like me that's out there on the edge, saying, "Hey guys, did you see this data? What do you think about that? This looks like a risk. You know, AD, ADE looks like it might be a real thing." And then I suddenly get slammed by the trolls and blacklisted for speaking uh, heresy. And, and you know, time goes by, and a couple of months, and everybody gets the accepted norm. You know, I, I went on Tucker's show and I said, "Hey." We've got a real problem with the databases in the CDC. And every and I got this amazing reaction. Oh, no, you went on Tucker. Uh, you're <laughs> a bad guy. And the things that you said are bad. Now everybody accepts that the databases in the bear system are a deep, deep problem. and And the whole approach that we're taking to this is causing us to not be able to understand the risks and benefits. Likewise, you know, I was out. Must be nine months now talking about spike and spike toxicities. And then I talked about it on the Brett Wein Weinstein podcast uh, famously and got fact checked by Reuters, said, no, 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 Spike is not toxic. It's accepted wisdom that spike itself is toxic. So it's it gives me some comfort, but it's cold comfort to know that by looking for patterns, pattern recognition, looking for leading indicators, Talking about risk assessment and risk mitigation, I tend to get it right again and again and again, but it's it's no comfort when when you're being constantly attacked for it. But it's how public health, we have to change our approach. It's how we have to start thinking. We have to think like stockbrokers.
0: It is a remarkable moment. And we're lucky, sir, that you have the courage to speak out because you have moved this debate forward. And though you've undergone a lot of attacks over time, your willingness to step forward and look at the data without uh, regard to outcome, just what is the data? What is it showing? How should we adapt? It's what's moving the ball right now. There's very little, few other things moving it. So we're really grateful for all you're doing, sir.
1: Thank you, John. Thanks for the kind words. That's I get these kind statements occasionally. Sometimes people even write me by hand. Yeah. And it gives me the comfort to move forward in the face of all the resistance. So these words of support really do matter. Thank you.
0: Well, we're lucky to have you. And thank you for your contribution to to science for so long. And uh, the next few months, I think your contribution is going to be even greater because we need your voice in the public square. Thank you. Thank you again. Okay. Good to be here. Bye-bye. You too, sir. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way And feeling better. And suddenly I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. house nutrition and of course field of greens all you got to do to take advantage of this offer visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code just news that's promo code just news at fieldofgreens.com don't wait go to fieldofgreens.com today use the promo code just news for 15 percent off all right folks welcome back from the commercial break wow what an interview with dr malone very rational very calm no politics involved just trying to give you important scientific information so you can maybe make up your own mind. Yes, he's challenging some of the conventional wisdom, but the data, he says, warrants that challenge. He's not an anti-vaxxer. He's not a political monger. This is a man that has dedicated his life to science and with great success and with his work, we have the technology that led to the vaccine of COVID. So it isn't like he's a crackpot, right? He's somebody who's really significant. And his voice is being drowned out by those who don't want to take a look. That maybe we're on the wrong beach. We're in the wrong part of the beach. The sand is sliding out from under our feet. The magic pill, potion that we thought vaccines were is not 100% true. It's helpful, right? But it may not be all end all that we had hoped to, that it was a a crossing of a moment. We take a vaccine, never have to think about it again. That is clearly changing quickly as the data comes in. And what Dr. Malone just told you is we need more than just vaccines. And uh, where are the therapeutics? Where are the cheap and easy, inexpensive ways to treat people from the hyper- inflammatory conditions that you get from COVID? Well, I don't know, but we'll find out from this very important doctor as he continues on his journey to challenge the medical establishment. All right, now it's still summer. I know it's felt like things are wrapping up. We're getting towards Labor Day, I get that, but it's not too late to have some more summer flings, to have some more summer fun, to create some memories for you and your family. And uh, one way you can do that is by starting a new craft with our good friends at Annie's Kid Clubs. I love Annie's. They are fantastic. They've got wood. They've got crocheting. They have all sorts of projects. They're great to do with the children. Or if you got the grandkids for the weekend, they're great for the grandkids. If you got a special needs child or adult like I do, my son Josh, well, we love these kits because we get to make something fun. We were just doing one this past weekend, and we love it. A little glue, a little bit of time together and Annie's has something super special when you're done you have the ability to take that craft that you just created that memory with your family and give it to somebody in need an afghan or a scarf for a wounded warrior for a homeless person so many options to donate what a great idea and all along the way Annie's Kit Clubs is supporting you they've got online tutorials they've got instructions they've got An easy to use website to find a place to donate the craft you just made with your child or your grandchild or just by yourself. It is fantastic. One of my favorites is the Young Woodworkers Kid Club. Check that out. We just made some cool stuff over the weekend with my son. How about that? It's perfect for ages seven to 12. Quite frankly, I'm in my 50s. I had fun making it. Come on, I'm going to admit it. I enjoyed it. All right. So now, when you say, well, I haven't heard of these Annie's folks, are they any good? Well, They've got 60,000 five star reviews. That's pretty darn good. Lots of people love the kits. They love the donation program. I love both. And that's why I'm mentioning it to you today. So if you want to get started, get involved in the club, get into the subscription program for your crafts. So something's coming every month or so. All you do is you go to Annie's Kit right? Annie's Kit slash just news. Let me give you that to one more time. Annieskitclubs.com slash just news. And you're going to get 75% off your first kit. That's a steal. It's like almost getting it free. That's how I did it. I love it. You should too. What a great way to create a memory with your child, your grandchild, and do some good while having some fun. Annieskitclubs.com slash just news. Right now go check it out. You won't be disappointed. What a great product. What a great group of people. What a great concept making gifts with your kids and grandkids and giving them to uh, someone in need. I love it. I love it. I love it. I really do. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. So glad you joined us. I hope you enjoyed that Georgia story. Very important. We're going to have some more breaking news tonight on Georgia elections and following the money. Uh Uh-oh. I think some people are going to wake up to a big story tomorrow. We'll tell you what that is in the morning. We'll have someone on the show tomorrow to talk about it. Until then... May God bless you and may God bless this great country, the United States, as he always has. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out.